Greetings, nerds. This is Cena Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me, as always, is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing very well this evening. How are you doing, Sarah? It's not nighttime. I know. <laughs> I, I know. realized it. I'm so I used to us recording at night that it was like a Freudian slip thing that happened. It's okay. It's okay. It's almost, well, it's like late afternoon for me, so. Yeah. But it's, 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 a, good, it's a good Sunday afternoon. Hope you're yeah. having a good one as well. And by the time that we actually drop the episode, it'll be night. So it's all good. It's all yeah, good. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. So so n- now we have Arrow coming to an end, but they also announced on Friday Supernatural season 15, final season. Mm-hmm. The ride is over. The ride is definitely over. And I, I'll, I will freely admit I did not watch – supernatural uh, i i mean i've seen a few episodes here and there but i was you know not a big follower but uh hey I, I, you know i guess it's one of those things where i guess they got inspiration from steven well if he can call quits i guess we can too <laughs> i watched the first five seasons and i really got into it and then i i You know, most people, like every time a show goes on for so long, you kind of go into it and you phase out of it and you come back into it. Mm -hmm. So I I stopped for a few seasons. I tried to get back into it. Couldn't really get back into it, but I'm still very impressed by what they've been able to accomplish. I mean, 15 years, nobody saw that coming. Right, right. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, they were only expected to last, what, five, if that Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and to make it to 15 years live action television, it, it's that's remarkable. I mean, no yeah. matter how you, how you cut it, whatever you know. Yes, it's the CW, but no, no matter what medium for a program to last that long, it, it's really remarkable. And and continuing to have such a loyal following um, all these years, it's um, yeah. Those guys definitely, uh, you know applauds to them um, what will be really funny and bizarre to see is if um i don't know if misha collins gets a guest star role on the flash in a later <laughs> season and suddenly you're just like you're not castiel what are you doing <laughs> is this the crossover assuming, assuming the flash gets some later seasons i saw where it like hit this all-time low this last week yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't really like that episode anyway. So yeah, yeah. It... That episode committed one of the biggest TV sins. You you tease the episode that finally Nora's going to tell the truth, and yet she tells the truth within the last five minutes. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I talked to some folks on Twitter about that episode some last week, and and, and I agree that they committed the ultimate sin and. It was the ultimate clickbait yeah. <laughs> as far as television. But at the same time, the other action minus Cicada. I, I did like to, I did like to Sherlock uh, on, on piecing the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, so it did have some good redeeming quality as far as the, the, the punch at the end. But yeah, it was it was definitely clickbait advertising the way they, they played that episode up. 
Yeah, and we're not here today to talk about Arrowverse. We're here actually to talk about another show that is coming to a end, not forever, but the season finale did air this past week, Deadly Class. Yes, please sci-fi, go ahead and let people know second season's coming, because as of yet, as of recording time, they have not. Which is crazy considering how they left it. I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, I was... I was going into it and I'm like, okay, so now they're they're leaving ties. They're they're tying up things, but they're also leaving some openings for season two. And then they leave the biggest opener ever in the fact that the final scene is Chico's father confronting Marcus and Maria with Chico's head in yeah. hand. In hand. <laughs> <laughs> and and they just they just end it. And you're like WTF? I could have done with all of Chester's nonsense like within 10 minutes. I yeah. want to know what happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was quite the ending. I, I managed to make it through the weekend without getting spoiled about that ending. And when I saw that yesterday when I was watching the show, I was like, yeah, that was totally my reaction to. Yeah, um, yeah. it just was bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they end the show like that, but let's rewind a bit and go to the very start. Um, And let's talk about Lynn, because what I really liked what they did in this finale is there's been these parallel storylines throughout the entire first season. You have Marcus's story and you have Lynn's story. And with Lynn, well, in the previous episode, his wife gets shot dead by Chico's men. Right. And he's on the run with his daughter. And then, gal, like, you, th- this man, which, by the way, are we sure that they're in California? Because I've never seen a neighborhood with so many assassins around yeah. before. Like, uh, where yeah. is this place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like uh, underbelly of the underbelly of the underbelly. <laughs> it's like... <Right. laughs> um, and so he, he's making his way through these passages. There's some really intense scenes, especially the fact that his daughter's like trying to keep up. And then you you think he's finally rest, um, reached his final destination, but everybody else is dead. And that's because Gao knew he was heading there the whole time. And then she takes his daughter yep. in that moment. So... So should should Lynn have seen that coming, considering the flashback that they gave us in the previous episode with what happened to her? He should have. He should have seen it coming. I mean, all throughout, inner women throughout the season, especially after Gal was introduced, uh, there's been this, this tension and this dynamic of the family and, and references to uh, Lynn's daughter being brought into the fold mm-hmm. and so he should have seen that coming but i mean in that moment after all the hell that they literally just had gone through and escaping el diablo and mm-hmm. and let's just, you know just just go through that for just a second i mean that was the chase between el diablo's men and, and len and his daughter and going through the restaurant and all the meat cleavers and mm-hmm. the, the, the uh it was just nonstop action in that episode and all, and it was just very heartbreaking to see after surviving all that at the very end, he's just 
he's completely exhausted, beaten down, burnt, bruised, shot, and then just the but the, the for, sheer force of will that Lynn still had to try to keep his daughter from being taken away to be indoctrinated into the family business was just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that his last plea to Gal was, she's not ready. Mm-hmm. Which means, like, maybe maybe he, he always knew that this was going to happen eventually. It's just that he was trying to preserve her innocence for as long as possible. And considering how young she is, I would also be like, are you sure she's ready to go to this temple? Yeah. <laughs> um, can she even drive? No? Okay. I wouldn't yeah. say she's but she, Hey, But she is pretty handy with a board. I mean, she took out she, uh, the El Diablo's man with one good hit. So, right, right. So, right. You know, well, so I mean, necessity. you're raised by an assassin. Yeah, you're raised, yeah, necessity, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just... And, and I mean, this is, again, because he says she's not ready, and then Gao hits him with the neither was I. Like, I, I like how they subtly built in that betrayal, because that's, that's the same betrayal she felt as a child when he didn't intervene with what his father did to her. Yep. So, so... Really, I mean, an eye for an eye, an assassin, and this is where the story really is is what they're trying to explore, the morality of what they're doing. They they know that there are bad people in the world, and those bad people should die. But at the same time, what is your ethics? What Where do you draw the line between right and wrong? Right, and, and I, I'm glad you brought that up with the, with the end, as far as how Gal felt that you know, her land did not stand up for her. And, you know, that, that subtext has been, and that has been interwoven throughout the season is when they've had their uh, interactions. And, and so it's not surprising that she ultimately took that action at the end and just ripping his daughter away from him and taking her to the, to the temple to get trained. But um, yeah. So, there's a lot of shades of gray in the show, as oh. far as yeah, as far as the characters and and you know, especially when we were first introduced to Lynn, it seemed that he seemed to be the most one of the more morally straight people in the show, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I really liked the way they developed that aspect of his family and showing that. You know, he, he is not the clean master of, of King's Dominion. And, 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 and all throughout the season, we, we saw some of those things, like when he was having interactions with the other faculty members and the, 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 the dynamics with uh, some of the other teachers and, mm-hmm. and, hand, and, handling, and handling Marcus's situation when, Mar- when, he, when Marcus finally did break and tell him that, yes, um, we were behind Chico's death. And, and so there were, it, it, I mean, that's what I really liked about this series. It, you know, it, not everybody was black and white and, and, you know, it, it definitely added some depth of character to, to each one of these uh, individuals. So, right. that, so that, you know, it, it, yes, it was a lot of violence and other things going on in the background, but 
that was just more that was you know it wasn't like a procedural show in that regard it was mm-hmm. really oh you know really got into a lot of different elements and you know and, and each week even even when they had it stumbled somewhat in the middle of the season with a few shows still kept me kept me engaged because i did want to find out what was going to happen to all these people in king's dominion right and I mean, to just go off of your point about the shades of gray, while this is going on, there, Marcus and his team is taking over Chester's house to try to kill Chester and everything he's created within a short period of time. And I want to first talk about Saya and Maria, because just like with Lynn and Gao, there's another betrayal that happens again, and they've been also threading this needle as well throughout the entire season where we meet these two girls their friends their allies even though they come from very different backgrounds and have a different legacy to uphold and marcus is just a catalyst for what occurs where they find them each other like um saya sleeps with marcus maria figures it out and then they are both entering this war zone and there's a few times where Murray is like, no, you can kill her. And then Sai's like, well, you can kill her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they also do end up saving each other. And then ultimately, Saya walks away from it all. Yeah. And and I thought that was a really interesting move for them to make with Saya's character character because it's so easy in, in these shows we know marcus and Sai are end game i'm sorry they are but they are they are you yeah you were shipping that way back at what episode two <laughs> yeah i think it was episode three which three, is yeah. where they got stuck oh, yeah, in the, the school yeah, yeah the rooftop yeah. scene yep yeah. yeah. But but and and it wasn't even about Marcus. So with everything she says, she doesn't really talk about him so much as what Marcus, Maria, and everyone else she's suddenly found herself associated with what they are doing to her. And she's sacrificing all of this other stuff. And so there was something so so beautiful about that moment. And I like how even though Maria's face is completely covered in makeup and she looks so crazy, you see it in her eyes, the devastation of like the one person who I could always count on now I can't anymore. So what do I do? Right. And it's Maria. So she's going to go off the deep end again. (laughs) Again. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, There, there were several moments there with, uh, during those, those, those fight sequences where, the stakes were very high and you thought Saya and Maria would definitely be the, the ultimate team up and fight side by side with, um, against Chester's minions. Uh, but the trail, it, it really is consistent with Maria and mm-hmm. her end of the day, as, as you said, I mean, the things that she was talking about were always about her. Yep. And the one thing that stood out to me, with the characters, in particular Marcus, at the end when he is and he and Maria are breaking up, sorta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because yeah, that was very ambiguous how they were. One thing that that really just kind of like stuck in my craw a bit with Marcus in that moment was when he said she was an obligation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, 
okay, you stinky sexist pig. <laughs> Ooh. I um, mean, I I didn't. Thank you for bringing up that line because I forgot about that moment. And even though it is very nasty to say that to someone, especially Maria and how fragile she is, yeah. it it's the truth. She is an obligation, and that's why so yeah. why Saya walked away. Yeah, because they yeah. all are obligations for Saya. Yeah, they are. They are, and. I, I guess I mean there there's multiple layers to that. I think I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up Saya's feeling that their obligations too because honestly when 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 we go back to early stages of Deadly Class, Marcus was actually an obligation for to Saya. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's it's very interesting for him now at the very end to to basically say that to someone else given given his his track record in the school yes maria was an obligation but he did not have to take it to the places where he where he did absolutely but there's also this undercurrent of irony in what he's saying because family which is the very thing that marcus has from the beginning desired to find found at the school, found with this group of people, Maria included. And family is obligation. It is. It is. So so, so in a way, he's using it as an insult, but what, what he doesn't, and he probably uses it that way because he also comes from years of not having that obligation. True. And then to be thrown into this world, it's kind of like it's even more dangerous to have those obligations because you're it's it's not only you who you're putting your life on the line it's like that's something else that they did so well in this whole um let's take down chester thing was those moments where they realized what they were doing and that marcus is putting everyone else at risk yeah to the point where i mean i'm sorry we didn't talk about this before lex gets killed we yeah, think. we think. Yeah, again, that's one of those open-ended things that we gotta have a season two, y'all. Uh, yeah, you're right, though. Uh, and I really get into your how you expanded on the obligation and the, and how I, I loved how they turned the inspirational speech, which mm-hmm. is such a trope of some of these shows, <laughs> on his head, just like. Wait a minute, Petra and and Billy and Petra in particular was like, just stop already. Right. And and so it was because of all the things that they've been through. Yes, there is that interwoven obligation to each other, but at the same time, these individuals are also still very selfish individuals. And you know, it is a, a school of assassins, so it truly is survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so and so. Yes, we're going to work together to take out Chester, but at the end of it, but but please don't lecture us about <laughs> about it and what we right. owe each other because at the end of the day, we don't owe each other anything. Right, right, right. You know what? Shout out to the stunt coordinator on this show because this is a masterpiece of an episode for a stunt coordinator. You, they literally built a house. With all of these traps and all of these different like booty traps, uh, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. and it was just so fascinating. Where 
Sai and Maria would be fighting and yet one door would open it and a crazy person would walk in and disrupt the fight and suddenly they're attacking somebody else. And then a bomb would suddenly get planted somewhere or go off. And and there were all of these like, it was just really, really fascinating to see. And the choreography was done so well that that it was brilliant. Now, (laughs) I... It did skew into an area that makes me very uncomfortable. And I do admit that I skipped forward on a few of the more violent parts of the show. Because it got to this place like a devil's rejects, Rob Zombie place. Where I was just like, I don't like it. (laughs) So I'm going to just skip you. Because that stuff makes me just, I I don't want to watch that. I'm yeah. sorry, it's not, it makes me nauseous, and I just, I can't, I don't, it, it gets under my skin, and it makes me very, um, very, I, I don't know, it's just, it just, it makes me unsettled. Yeah, don't watch it alone late at night, yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and I just skipped forward to where they finally captured Marcus, and Chester and him had the, had the, um, the bizarre press conference or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that moment. Yeah, that was very bizarre. But again, it reminded me, remember that movie Natural Born Killers? Yeah. It reminded yeah. me a lot of that. And this uh-huh. good call. Yeah. And Nicky Mallory or whatever, Mickey and Mallory uh characters and how pop culture and how Oliver Stone like really made it a commentary uh, about violence and culture and all that kind of stuff. And Chester was doing that same kind of deal with this weird like video that he was trying to make himself this notorious being putting annals of all crazy psycho killers. (laughs) And, 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 uh, and it was very, I liked how Marcus played along with it. Okay. I'm gonna play along with it. Just like I did all for a good chunk of the season where I took credit for the foster home deaths. I'm going to do this now to Chester in order to get out of the situation. And then, you know, when of course he cracked his head with the brick and then of course, you know, Fuckface met his, his, his demise <laughs> with, uh, with uh, ironically with the dog named Peppermint. <laughs> Anybody um, else notice how yeah. I say Chester during this uh, this review? And the moment Will can say fuckface, he does. Yeah, well, I just like the name. It's just <laughs> it's oh, just yeah. a funny name that they that they that, that he has. I'm sorry, I I I just take advantage of it when I can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah. You know, and, and and he is a hard character to understand, and um, I I appreciate that they tried to give him one semblance of empathy in that final showdown between him and Marcus, where there's that part where he says, "You were my best friend." Mm-hmm. It, like we we know he did some like not not at all in any world write stuff to Marcus but for for him and his very skewed and screwed up perception of what friendship is Marcus was that brother he never had and was that person he could rely on and he he liked the boys homes 
because probably he's never had one before. Like he's never had a place to be before and, and clean sheets and all that stuff. So the fact that Marcus burned it all down literally is really made him like out for vengeance and he's going to take away everything that Marcus has found. And that's what he went out to do. And of course, Marcus is Marcus wins, but yeah, but he, but see what happens with, with, uh, Chico's dad, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens there. And, and you know, but Marcus did lose, even that, he still lost more family, uh, which, again, at its core, that was one of, some of those things that was driving Marcus to begin with, was the fact that his parents were lost and and everything. So, yeah, it, I, I, I really I liked the way they ended the storyline with Chester and Marcus. It was mm-hmm. very, it was very fitting and, and this this fun house of horrors that was was built up as far as a season finale for a show named Deadly Class, I would have been disappointed if we didn't have that type of finale. Yeah, Cring, and cringy, they cringy went moments and all. They went all in on it. They yeah. they did not hold back. There's I was actually there was a few episodes this season when I was like, why did they call it Deadly Class? Like mm-hmm. I know they're assassins, but the violence isn't really happening and I felt like they reserved all of that expenses and to get the right um, stunt choreographer to get the right set pieces in place for that final episode because yeah. that is just on a whole nother level. And I like the more we talk about this. Again, I just want to go back to this point about Marcus and the I- irony with his path. Because if he he literally found a family and a home in a mm-hmm. school that is meant to create assassins, which is supposedly one of the loneliest career choices you can make. Right. <laughs> because they always say, like, you 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 shouldn't have ties. You're gonna pick up. You're gonna go on your mission, and you have to kill. And mm-hmm. you and you don't want ties because you may get directed to kill somebody you love, or you put yep. them at risk. Yep. So so there. I wonder if overall that's where they're really going with Marcus to make him realize that that if he really wants a family, he can have it, but he can't have everything Lynn is cha- training him to do or become. Right, right. He, he can't, and and we also see that with Lynn as well. Uh, yep, exactly. Wow, that that got deep. <laughs> <laughs> that got that got a lot more deep. But you know, if you haven't checked out Deadly Class yet, please do. Um, the first season is pretty strong. It has its highs and its lows, but overall, I think it's a pretty well-rounded first chapter for a show. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right. So, surprisingly, that's the only TV show we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> we got some movies. We finally went to the theater. Yeah. Went to the and, theater. And more importantly, I beat watching something. Will I watch Captain Marvel before Will for the you first did. time? I watched an MCU movie before Will did. She and did. I've forgotten ever. No. <laughs> One week ago <laughs> to the day. Um, so, yeah, let's get into this MCU Captain Marvel movie, which I don't know if controversial is the right word for it, but it's definitely not. It's definitely mixed on Captain Marvel feelings, I think, out there. 
Yeah, def- definitely. Um, you know, there's the couple of things that, that we had the whole Rotten Tomato mess where a lot of the negative fanboy were, was already just trying to pepper bad reviews, feeling like, oh, it's a Me Too movie, da da da, whatever, whatever misogynist, whatever bad feeling they had. They were going to like unleash it on on this film, and mm-hmm. to the point where Rotten Tomatoes changed their their uh, rating system and everything like that. But at the end of the day, the MCU, as always, gets the last laugh because this movie is approaching a billion dollars. So second week, second yeah. week, yes, like second week approaching a billion dollars, and this um, the the second largest like solo movie opening for a superhero yep yeah yeah Yeah. like 154 mil so so negative fanboys suck it (laughs) i i just i mean negative fanboys you can be negative about what this movie stands for all you want at the end of the day you're gonna go see it because you want your avengers infinity war fix like that's that's why it got all this money i think the I, at first, I was like, really? You're going to release this in March? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to release this right, like, a month before Avengers? Yeah, um, they, but it they, worked perfectly. It, it worked. I mean, it, it, well, it's a it's a model that worked before with Black Panther and another film that had very high expectations. Uh, I don't think I don't think Captain Marvel and I and, and I don't know if it had I mean, clearly it has the box office appeal and crossover appeal as far as you know just generate a lot of money but as far as a seminal cultural moment it has some but i don't think it is at the level of black panther was i i agree i i agree i actually think that over it's very hard for me to say this, but overall, Black Panther is is more of that culture movement yeah. than even Captain Marvel is, and be, and I think they did that on purpose mm-hmm. because they actually didn't um, they didn't really want to be in your face. Me too. I didn't get as much of that until like towards the end there was yeah. a lot of clear me too references or easter eggs or however you want to like subtext yeah um, or, yeah or empowerment whatever you want to call it yeah I, right yeah i actually i thought what was more interesting was some of the more subtler things that they did with the character in the sense that they didn't over sexualize her yes I- uh, like in any way, and I keep mm-hmm. comparing it to Wonder Woman and just costume, mm-hmm. appearance, angles on how they shoot. You can tell that one half of this directing team was a female because I I truly believe a female director will shoot a female character very differently than a male director would yep. um, because perspectives are different. And yep. you see that, and you saw that with Wonder Woman too because yep. you had... Yeah. You had Zack Snyder director and some of the bits, and then you had um, I'm I'm forgetting her name. Patty, Patty Jenkins, I guess did. Patty Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, I guess she did about eighty percent of the movie than the last 
maybe well the last act was all Zack Snyder. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you you also have like there were some good writing notes that I appreciated because at the start of the movie when we're first introduced to the Cree culture, mm-hmm. Jula is talking to Brie Larson about how she has to keep her emotions in check. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get emotional. And I'm like, this is an FU moment for all the men who tell women, keep your emotions in check. Yep. You're getting too emotional. Yep. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, there was there there's the, the best line at the end where she really does do that F you to him him where she's like, I have nothing to prove to you. Exactly. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah, those, yeah, I mean, those are definitely the more in-your-face moments of, you know, if you want to go call it female empowerment, whatever, it's fine. That part of the film, I have a daughter, so, you know, more empowerment, the better. Whenever I get the first opportunity to take her to see this film, I will. Um, so, because it's it's great to see, like Wonder Woman, strong lead characters on film regardless of whether it's a superhero film or 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 something else mm-hmm. or a film about stem i mean it's just it's just good to see that but i did have I, overall i enjoyed captain marvel mm-hmm. uh but i did and especially when compared seeing it within three days of um another franchise film it my biggest quibble with the film is it just seemed very vanilla MCU in that it it didn't it didn't break any new ground for me as far as it, as far as the, the universe. It did fill in the gaps for a lot of things that already established. It established how the, how the Tesseract was found and other things as well. And I'm sure that was intentional because part of me thinks that, okay, this film is in a way we're going to use it as a bridge to in game to basically wrap up phases one, two, and three of the MCU. And so, so from that standpoint, it was, I mean, it was good. It was entertaining, but I just felt like told you my initial reaction was it felt like uh, I ranked it around, around Captain America, first Avenger. And, and, um, and that's how it felt to me. It was a good origin film, set the character very well, clearly sets up Captain Marvel as the heir apparent to Captain America in the MCU as far as the character. And it was it was entertaining, but it, it, it but it didn't feel like it carried the ball too much forward for me. Right. Okay. Um I when when you first asked me after watching it where I would rank it, um, I felt very put on the spot. Um, I felt <laughs> I like, like I you like should never <laughs> ask that question. It's just rude. And it was just mean. Um, and because <laughs> I instantly was like, it, it's on par with Winter Soldier. And I know that's a controversial statement to make, um, but I am going to stand by it. And I think that a year from now, people will say the same thing. Because I, I agree Anything, the the prequel aspect of this movie is that vanilla 
on par with with um, Captain America First Avenger. I will agree. But that's maybe 40% of the plot. If yeah. you just focus on her as a character and the implications with the scroll and the Kree and what that could set up for where we go after Endgame, that is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And I put it on par with Winter Soldier because of the twist. Because of the main reason why I walked out of the meeting and I was like, that was a well-written story. Because yep. from start to finish, you didn't see that coming. You didn't. A lot of people say, well, I saw it coming because of the trailers. They made Julov feel like the bad guy. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I stopped watching the trailers then because yeah. I didn't get spoiled in the slightest. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I didn't feel that it was predictable as far as that twist. I enjoyed the twist. Right. And and it, I really like it and it kind of makes me even want to go back and rewatch it a second time, although I probably won't because I'm lazy. <laughs> it but I like that idea that we have to really realize that she's for 6 years she has been told these stories about who she is, where her power comes from, what she is supposed to do, and it's all about Cree. And she's been indoctrinated into this society, and that is what she's fighting for. And so the fact that Sam Jackson calls her as rogue soldier, it's not because she's suddenly realizing she's human. It's because she realizes that everything she was told about what she was fighting for and why is a lie. And that's very, it's, it's parallel to what happened to Steve Rogers in winter soldier. Gotcha. And then they do the twist. And, and I, 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 I love that twist because, because you can still make scrolls the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like that is, Talk about ambiguity. You can still, there can be a rogue scroll who creates an army and tries to invade Earth, and then Captain Marvel has to come in because even Talos admits it. Like he has blood on his hands too. Like nobody is, is innocent in this war. And that's what I thought was so, so interesting that they really, they didn't fully execute it, but. I saw what they were trying to do in terms of the ambiguity of war. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you there. That and and, and now now and I, I I see now that we've had a chance to talk about it because I, I did punch you on the spot, and I'm sorry I punched you on the spot. <laughs> no, he's not. He's happy. <laughs> I'm happy I did. I always like we always put each other on the spot because yeah, we always do that instant reaction, but. At least I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and usually I'm the one getting to say, hey, Sarah, oh, I got to check this out. You got to yeah. go see it. Uh, yeah. I, eat, I eat Aquaman and then I set it up too high and then she ends up being your wrong will. But I digress. <laughs> I, I see what your, your point about Winter Soldier. And, and, I, and I appreciate what, as you said, what they were trying to achieve in that arc, especially with having blood on their hands and um i with that aspect of it i almost feel like it's uh it, it, you know it sort of gets into avengers 2 ultron and civil war um with the especially with the Zarkovia accords down mm-hmm. the road um, Interesting. um 
that this is a messy business and it does get into the philosophical arguments that Captain America and that and and that Steve and Tony were getting into with should the Avengers sign on to the Accords or not. So from that standpoint, I totally get it. And um, it's a very, very messy business. And you are right. That is the stronger part of the film. That, right. la- that I guess that third arc, third act, uh, where we do get the twist and things do. And I will say I did enjoy that portion of the film a lot more than the beginning. Uh, once we once we had that um, had that part of the story go forward. Right. So um, I I also just want to like. And I've heard that pretty consistently with anybody reviewing this movie, that the beginning is a weaker part. The middle, it gets really poignant. And then the end, in my my mind, um, commits the Wonder Woman sin of having a unnecessary, larger-than-life spectacle occur, which drove me crazy. (laughs) Whatever. I get it. She's all-powerful. Yeah, that was that was my only other. I, I was wondering how you felt about her power ratio because, man, at this point, what's we, do we even need the rest of the team? <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> it 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 so annoyed me. Like after the first, as soon as she's she lifted, uh, okay, she stops all of the all of the missiles, okay, but. Then she goes to the ship and starts blowing things up, and I'm like, "Stop! Just yeah. stop it!" <laughs> like, I know they're the bad guys, but at the same time, this is so unnecessary. We know she's a badass. You don't need to. I felt like they showed all their cards with her powers, yeah. and they could have held back. And I think it would be stronger if they had hold back because if when we get to Endgame and she does something on that level. That would have been more of a surprise, but they they already showed it yeah, in this yeah. movie, and and, and so it just and it went on too long, way too, too long. long. And I, you're right, I'm glad you brought that up that they should have held back because we, she, you know, at, she really hadn't fully realized her potential, especially in those early scenes at the beginning of the film when she is fighting Yon Rog, um, and. And for her to get that power curve at the at the back end, where she is like, again, I'm like, okay, what's the point of having Thor, Hulk, and everybody else? Because she could, you know, she could basically take Thanos out with just one punch. <laughs> well, well, we don't know because she only has the power of one in, uh, Infinity Stone. Yeah. She only has the power of one Infinity. Yeah, she has Stone. part of the, the Tesseract. I mean, he has them all, but again. He has four others. Yeah, he, yeah. He four has, times the power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does. He does. But do, do, should we should we call okay, so science guess, guy and, we and science call, guy? True. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you. Yeah. Who <laughs> should be nominated for an Oscar based off of his performance? And and I want to go back and watch the movie and watch the first act when she first gets captured by the scrolls to figure out who Science Guy is. <laughs> <laughs> the best moment ever. Got it. 
That is, it is very good moment. It's a very good moment, folks. If you haven't seen it, hopefully, yeah, you know. Well, if you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't seen it and you're, you know, you made it through the spoiler cast, uh, you know, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. But I'm glad you brought up about the power thing because you know, I guess, I guess it's on par with Vision as far as having one stone because he had the uh, which stone which. So yeah, and Thanos pretty much took care of Vision. So yeah, yeah. He he kind of killed them a few times. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, but I, I but I, to your original point that it, the power curve was a bit much. Yeah, so, it, it it just it got out of hand and yeah. it, it's totally unnecessary. I mean, th- again, this goes back to my point about why I put this movie more closely to Winter Soldier is because right before they just let her loose again there's another betrayal in in that she realizes that the Kree blood that she's been getting transfused into her for the past six years has done nothing but like um stifled her power mm-hmm. when the reality is like the power Marvel in a way gave her all those years ago is really just bursting at the seams and is trying to get out. And that's what she's, she's had all this time. And I I think that again, is a nice twist, especially because they, they planted this very subtly, but the first time you see the crash in the very beginning of the episode, um, blue blood comes out of her nose because Mm -hmm. it's Cree because Mm -hmm. she's remembering it as if she has, has always been in need of this Cree blood or that's like they they started the transfusion to save her life there and then in the last flashback towards the end suddenly it's red blood like mm-hmm. she's still human and and I was like that's an that's a pretty good that's, editing choice that is that's that's a and that's a very good detail there that you that you that you raise and I, I miss that again it's it's her reestablishing her connections with her home Right. And and also ridding herself of this the, the Cree indoctrination because there was, you know, as you rightly said, whenever she first re- remembered the 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 moment when it, with the crash and everything, it was always a scroll that was coming there with the right with the pistol. Um and then whenever, you know, when when Thalos told her the truth and and she really was able to fully release her memories she realized that it was it was John Rogg who was actually the one that was coming at her. Yeah, yeah. Can um, Thalos be in the next movie? I hope um, so. I hope he, so. He, ben Mendelsohn was brilliant, even though he was in makeup so much of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I loved him. Jude Law was all right. Um, he, he kind of wasn't that big, didn't have that big of a presence. And in fact, and I think what where one of the mistakes are is if you felt the the betrayal that occurs between her and the Cree could have been more um, prevalent if we had spent more time with her um, young young rogue Rian rogue and the rest of the Cree crew and really got to know how their unit. And, and then, because we didn't really get that, we don't have much ties to them being a team, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. 
Um, they, you know, something they do, do not make subtle at all is um, photon. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> photon. Yeah. Um, yeah, that seed has been planted. <laughs> that seed is definitely planted for phase four. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. And the flurkin. Flurkin. The flurkin, flurkin. Flurkin, flurkin, flurkin. And and we finally get the the, the truth about Nick. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm still on the fence about that. I I could go either way. In yeah. the moment I was laughing, retrospectively, yeah. it was kind of undermining who we thought Nick Fury was in a way. I don't know. Yeah, speaking of which, but I just have to. I I I was wondering how well the the de aging of Samuel L. Jackson and Clark Gregg was going to hold up, and it held up. It was very believable. Yeah. 100%. It was, yeah, it was amazing. We can't, I can't go without talking about the film without raving and praising the special effects job that they did on on both those gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, he actually Samuel L. Jackson looks even younger as 1990s furry than he did in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. did a during the same time period, uh, and. He, they just, that was just a phenomenal job. And also, I, I liked, uh, you know, again, getting to some of the origin pieces is just filling in some of the gaps in the MCU as far as the origins of how that Fury and, and Coulson get, become teammates. And so th- those, those were nice. I don't know if they were, say it was necessary, but it was just nice to fill in those gaps in, in the history of, of this universe that we've been watching now for over a decade. Uh, Sam Jackson is just having the time of his life in yeah. these movies and I I don't foresee him ever getting tired of this character of being in this universe yeah. because now they can DH him and he can have all the fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he just and, and I felt that I felt like in a yeah. way this was his reward for all of his time coming mm-hmm. in giving um, giving just just exposition on yep. the events and every and bringing people together and not really being able to save the day. And granted, he saved the day with a cat. Yep. <laughs> it, it was a very high functioning threat level high cat. Yeah. <laughs> threat level high, and then they scan him. Human man <laughs> zero. <laughs> that was a great. That was a great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I felt like in a way they gave him. They're like, no, we're gonna take this opportunity. We know we want to do a prequel. We want to recognize that there is a reason why Shield has been around for so long. And I think that's another thing we tend to forget. Like Shield didn't create like come because of the Avengers. Right. The Shield created the Avengers and brought yep. these people together because that's what they've been doing. They've been tracking. So, so it, it was kind of nice to see like like some of the earlier stages of Shield and have that really be the focus rather than the little teaser or the the opening scene um, that that's like the prologue or the epilogue. So, I mean, that's that's all good, but he just was having fun, and him and Brie Larson surprisingly had great on-screen chemistry. They did. They did. They were really believable as a team, and it makes, and it sets up very well for Endgame 
and also the end of Infinity War, why she had the pager. Um, they they were very believable as a unit, and <laughs> and why she. Um, yeah, I mean, they just, yeah, the banter between the two, the jokes, I mean, everything, that worked very well, and you're right, I mean, Sam, they, it was a reward for all the, the work, and also, it, it fleshed out Fury as a character, right. um, that, so we can, as you said, we can really appreciate the th- more now when we rewatch the MCU films, why S.H.I.E.L.D. is the way that it is, and why he is the way that he is in, in, in those films. And and there's something very 90s about having two people randomly get paired together with their own baggage and they have to save the world while working through that baggage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds exactly like a buddy cop movie. Totally. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I keep putting it out there, but I feel obligated to. It, there was something so interesting, or it's really interesting to look at that relationship no sexual attention. They're no. not romantic interests. Nope. It's more of a best friend, buddy, mm-hmm. co- comrade. It's not even a father figure, I would no. argue. No, no, it's not. It was. I didn't get that vibe at all. It truly yeah. was. You were, you were, you were right. It, was, if, it had that buddy cop vibe. Right, right. Riggs Which, and <laughs> and And yet the two together carry so much of this film mm-hmm. which is very different than how watching wonder woman yes gal gadot did a great job but i think that part of her most of her performance is only enhanced because chris prine is she's allowed to play off of his character and he brings so much charisma to that movie and to his part and there is that romantic tension there is that like sacrifice and so again this movie does not go the standard typical route and say, hey, you have to have a love interest. Yep. I mean, that's something that the MCU usually does, but they didn't in this movie, which I think was very um, strategic of them not to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's that's a very good point. And it didn't need it. It did not need it. And it would have <laughs> under, it would have undermined the story if it had gone that way. Yeah, yeah, because it was more about her and, and where her realizing who she is, who she was, and and then trying to figure out where where do you go from him from here. And I like the fact that she, they made it very. I thought it was a really good rationale um, because the movie should answer why isn't she on Earth? Mm-hmm. Like if you realize you're from Earth, why wouldn't you want to stick around and f- figure out? And, and just be back on your home planet. And they, she's like, no, I don't belong here anymore, obviously. So so she goes off and fights wars in the galaxy. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's an it for us on Captain Marvel. Now, now for the moment we've all been waiting for, or I have not been waiting for this moment because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> Oh. Will is going to hype me up, and be, and I've already seen it on Twitter. I know that Shazam's going to be an amazing movie. Will it cure cancer? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it will not cure cancer, but it will make you, if you're dealing with it, or any bad day or whatever, it will definitely leave a smile on your face. Okay, well, that was pretty obvious from the trailers. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's very obvious, but it 
I, but I will say this, and to to set this up properly, because the the DC EU has has historically been a very grim place with uh, with their their various films. As you said, Sarah, the the trailers do show how funny and silly it is uh, as far as Shazam, but again, the trailers don't really. This is a, another example of where the trailers really do not do a good service of selling them. And no, not all the best funny moments are all exposed in the trailers. So, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, definitely. <laughs> I'm not going to give them all, any away. I'm not going to go away. This will be a spoiler-free, a spoiler-free thoughts on the film. So I did uh, take advantage of the Fandango early screening. And so it was... I guess my overall thoughts on the film, and you've probably seen a lot of this on Twitter or or social media places. Definitely, it's a fun movie. It definitely has a lot of heart, but it also has some heft to it as well, as far as the story. And I will just say that as far as the two main protagonists, as far as Billy Batson and the antagonist, uh, Dr. Sylvain, played by Mark Strong, uh, they are real dualities of each other, and the story really works well. Taking two individuals who have similar situations in their childhood uh, and shows how the wizard who is who is is the guardian trying to find his champion, how they how how they play out with one another, and so so the film was very good about that one of the things that this film does a good job of it definitely does a good job of balancing the humor but also there are some scary moments and dark moments in it i mean after all it is rated pg-13 but more so than aquaman more so than wonder woman it really balanced it finally hit that right note in the dceu as far as the humor and the grimness hit that right balance. I, I really, I really believe that it, it did that very, very well. It definitely references, you know, it, it does acknowledge that it is in the larger context of the, of the DCEU. So they don't ignore it. Uh, there's some very nice little bits in it where, uh, you know, you do see Superman and Batman and, you know, references to, to some of the other characters as well. Um, I, Mark Strong's character is definitely the strongest villain that the DCEU has had. I mean, you know, we had what Steppenwolf and Je- justice league. We, yeah. we had, um, the, the God of war and wonder woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically CGI characters. So you're telling me that Shazam has a villain that is a human being like yeah. flesh, it's, not flesh. full CGI. No C- well, there are some CGI, uh, accompaniments to the human villain, but yes, there are, they are, but even the CGI villains, that accompany the human villain, uh, they are supporting characters and not the lead. Mark Strong's character is the lead character, lead villain, and he is—he's is really, really good. I mean, he—he—he he, 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 was—he's—he was given a character that could easily be a very one-note kind of, you know, villain of the week kind of deal, and really provided some texture to why he is so hell-bent on getting his revenge on the wizard who grants the powers of Shazam to Billy Batson. Okay, okay, interesting. Well, I think you've said enough. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I know we're coming up 
Yeah. But Any final point? Final point, stay to the very, very end. Uh, you will be rewarded. I mean, to the very, very end of the credits. Um, they do do they do do have some uh, MCU elements to it. Uh, some nice little cameos that uh, will uh, make it worthwhile. And uh, I, I it, it really is a very, very good good movie. I think it's probably the at least in my opinion the best DCEU film. Wow. All right. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I know when I listen to a spoiler free review of these movies, I'm always curious, well, is there an end credit scene? How long do I have to wait? And is it beneficial for me to wait to the very, very end? Um, So I appreciate you adding that in there. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you and tweet their reactions of Shazam? Yes, if you've if you've seen it, and make sure you tag it with spoiler alerts, sort of because the film doesn't open until April five. But uh, tag me at Will M Polk. That's W I L L M P O L K. And you can find me on Twitter at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please follow our crew on Twitter at Cena Nerd. Friend us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel. But most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes. (laughs) Good night, geek out. You're welcome.